According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Proverbs 17 once again. Back from our missing week last week. Appreciate taking the week off and for your prayers. Proverbs 17, 17. I think we wrapped up uh, what we were looking at in verse 16. Why would someone want wisdom when they don't have a heart for it, when he has no sense? And then he comes to uh, with price in hand as if the wisdom of God can be purchased, as if um, such a thing was possible. And so we looked at those issues, looked in the book of Acts and saw Simon who thought that he could purchase the uh, power to give the Holy Spirit and other things. There's always people in every generation that think that if they have a lot of money, then they can get what they want, even in spiritual realms, uh, because they've got a lot of money in the earthly realm, as if uh, God was impressed by that for some reason. So anyway, there's uh, there's a lot of, of uh, doctrine, I think, that we can glean out of verses like that, and we dealt with that a couple weeks ago. I think we're ready now to move on to verse 17, because we have friends and brothers and uh, things we want to look at there. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask our Father for His blessing upon our time of study. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before You this morning thankful for Your truth and rejoicing over the blessing that it is for us to assemble together. We ask for your blessing upon our time of study, Father, that you would hedge us about and protect us, hinder anyone that would want to come in here and, and bring us to harm or stop our, our Bible study. Father, thank you for the grace provision that you continue to supply. We give you the praise and the glory, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Praying for our brothers in Cameroon, I'll tell you that. They, uh, and I felt bad, too, because I got a text message, or through Facebook, you get a a message on your phone from some of these Ukrainian, uh, these uh, Cameroonian pastors. And a week ago Sunday, uh, one of them asked me how my Sunday went. And I, of course, I'm goofing off. I'm not in the pulpit. But he wanted to know how, how was church and how was the message. And, uh, and so I asked him, I kind of didn't answer right away, but I asked him how his church, and they had to stop their services early because of gunfire. And they had to flee and go hide in the jungle. And uh, I thought, wow. You know, here I am, you know, in Reno playing Scrabble, and I thought this is just amazing. The, the here we are in our prosperity, and our brothers and sisters are dealing with that. So, in any event, we do we don't take it for granted. We realize that our grace provision could be gone tomorrow, should the Lord choose to change our nation's circumstances. All right, Proverbs seventeen: A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So we have friends and brothers, and this is what we're going to look at here. In fact, this is the first of several passages whereby friends and brothers are connected together. Uh, Maybe the next one is more famous than this one, but they're all worth because there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And that's probably the best known verse, uh, which is unfortunate because the word for friend there isn't the word for friend. And so when you read the Hebrew, you got to kind of redo your understanding of these things. And so Let's uh, pick up, this is point 17 in the outline then, which if I have the slide correct is slide 19. There it is. All right. 
Wisdom principles for friends and brothers. Wisdom principles for friends and brothers are given in the personal and public wisdom collection as well as the accumulated wisdom collection rather than the parental wisdom collection of this book. And you might remember as we introduced the book, we broke it down into different sections. Section 1 through 9, chapters 1 through 9, is what I titled Parental Wisdom. And in chapters 1 through 9, you have most of the my son, my son uh, exhortations, uh, acquire wisdom, my son, uh, listen to your father, listen to your mother, uh, very much in invocative address whereby uh, the parents are speaking to the sons and begging the sons to, to, to live the Word of God, to learn the Word of God. And uh, that's chapters 1 through 9. In chapters 10 through 24, uh, my title for sections 10 through 24 is called Personal and Public Wisdom. And it's a collection of Proverbs. They're all Solomon's Proverbs. But it's a collection of Proverbs that were assembled, uh, I believe, in Solomon's lifetime. Uh, but, the, but these uh, Proverbs are more centered on adult capacity whereby a young man is no longer under his parental authority. The young man has stepped forth in his own generation. He uh, stands before the Lord to live wisdom or not. And, uh, and in public life then, the benefits when you have multiple believers that are, that are living their, their Christian walk, that there's a benefit to your tribe, to your clan, to your, uh, to your society. And so it's not only is a personal wisdom, but it's also a public wisdom. Because the, the core of, of when you have more believers functioning in wisdom, you benefit your, the public life. You benefit uh, your culture. Whereas if you have a concentration of fools in a locality that are not living the Word of God, uh, a concentration of fools is to the detriment of your village, of your city, of your tribe, and uh, of your nation. So uh, chapters uh, 10 through 24 really centers on personal and public wisdom. And this is the first section now where we start to get these verses that center on wisdom principles for friends and brothers. For friends and brothers. We have the tandem of the right for the friends or the ra'im and then the ach for the brother or the achim. We'll, uh, we'll give you the vocabulary for this here in a moment and, uh, and see that. Now, this is not to say that we have not already had vocabulary for friends already. We have had vocabulary for friends in the first nine chapters. It's just not been translated friends. It's been translated neighbor instead of friends. And so we have to discuss why is it that the same Hebrew word is sometimes brought into English as friend and sometimes it's brought into English as neighbor. And then how do we decide whether your neighbor is your friend or whether your friend is your neighbor? And um, is it okay if, if your neighbor is your friend? Uh, how, do we, how do we relate to friends and neighbors if, uh, if, if we have different English words for them and, uh, and Hebrew does not? Hebrew uses the same expression for your friend is the same expression for your neighbor. And that, uh, I think, that's a sermon right there. <laughs> that, that vocabulary identification is, uh, is interesting to me. Um, hold your finger here if you want, and you can look ahead, and you'll notice there's another segment in um, Proverbs 25.1. Look at how Proverbs 25.1 begins. It's almost like it's a reboot of the entire book. It's like the book is starting all over again, because these also are Proverbs of Solomon. 
which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. And so about 150 years, a couple hundred years after Solomon, uh, after obviously Solomon's dead, but additional Proverbs that he wrote that were not in the initial canon of Scripture, were not in the original collection of Proverbs, were added to the book of Proverbs during the days of Hezekiah. And there was a great revival in the days of Hezekiah. And of course, uh, there was a time that the law itself was lost and then refound. And then uh, work that was done by the high priest, a very godly man in this, in this generation. And so it's not surprising to us then that additional Proverbs could be compiled to the, uh, to the book of Proverbs. And instead of trying to fit them in somewhere in the first 24 chapters, they just went ahead and added chapters 25 through uh, 29, if you will. And then we have additional headings in chapter 30 and in chapter 31. You'll notice chapter 30, the words of Augur, the son of Jaka, whoever he was. And then in Proverbs 31, the words of King Lemuel, the oracle, which his mother taught him. And for, for the addition of Proverbs 31, when did that get added to the canon of Scripture? All of these are puzzles that Old Testament scholars work on to, uh, to understand the nature of Psalms and Proverbs, especially Psalms and Proverbs, how they were uh, accumulated, how they were sorted, how did the 150 Psalms get put in that order? into five books? And how was it that the Proverbs were put in that order? And who attached Proverbs 30 and Proverbs 31? Uh, and who? And obviously in the day, we know in the days of Hezekiah when Proverbs 25 through 29 were added. So all of those are, are vital studies and I don't know, uh, we haven't been overly technical here on Wednesday mornings going into much of this, uh, but, but it is important to, to, uh, to work your way through. So the observation I'm making here out of Proverbs 17, 17 is, is that the, the tandem of friends and brothers was not featured in the childhood portion of the book. It was not featured in chapters 1 through 9. It's not featured uh, from parents exhorting their children to uh, on these things. It is an application for adults. It's an application for personal wisdom in public life and how we relate to one another as friends and brothers. Adult brothers. We're not talking about little siblings running around that mom and dad are spanking. We're talking about adult brothers. That each one is the head of a household. That each one is connected together as brothers within the clan, within the tribe, within the nation. And so how do we function as adult brothers in standing before the Lord and standing in our community? And so starting with Proverbs 17, 17, we have the first of these. Um, again, what does it say? It says, uh, a friend loves at all times and you might have but, depending on what English you're reading there, it's either but or and as uh, as a connector for our two lines of poetry. A friend loves at all times. I think and is the best. A brother is born for adversity. And so these aren't contradictory statements. They're complementary statements. And they serve to agree with one another. They serve to uh, to tell two separate stories that are largely similar in their understanding. All right? And uh, Robert, you might be my dug today if I need someone to... Step out. Let me know, Chris, if we need someone to step out. All right. So, 
A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And that verse preaches itself, all right? Because all times is all times. Adversity is the toughest of the times. The toughest of the times uh, that you hope uh, is, you know, seldom rather than more frequently. But as frequently as adversity comes along, your brother was born for that. That uh, God chose to, uh, for in physical birth, in controlling the the uh, birth of our uh, siblings, that uh, he chose the, the brothers that have been assigned to you for the tough times. And, uh, and that's that. But a friend, friendship uh, for all times is what uh, is uh, highlighted there, all right? Then over to chapter 18, we've got another one. Chapter 18 and verse 24. A man of too many friends comes to ruin. <laughs> huh, Okay. Can you have too many friends? Is it possible to have too many friends? Well, we'll discuss it when we get to that chapter. But I think um, if you view your friendship responsibilities seriously as unto the Lord, and if you view that your friendship duties uh, are have responsibilities attached to them, then when you have too many, what happens? Yeah, you're pulled a thousand directions and, and you're, you, you find yourself stretched too thin and you're, you're running a hundred directions, a hundred different places. And, and you actually destroy yourself. You destroy yourself in the, uh, in the effort. But there is a lover. And this is not the word for friend. This is the word for ahav. This is the word for love. That there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so we'll have to, by the time we get to that verse, uh, we're going to have to really break down the interpersonal relationships between friend, brother, acquaintance, and lover. All right? And we're going to be, we're going to struggle with the word lover because today lover means one thing. All right? And today we only use lover for you know, a sexual partner, right? But we got to we got to overcome that. We, we we can use the term loved ones, and that gets better. So we have friends, and we have loved ones, right? We have friends, we have family, and we have loved ones, and uh, and and so as we use the term there, loved ones is 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 uh, generic enough that it it could be a family member, it could be a friend, it could be, uh, and it doesn't have to be someone we're having sex with. It's just loved ones, right? So we do better with loved ones than we do with lovers. Um, as far as an English word is concerned. But that's what we have here. We have a lover. There is a loved one. There is a lover who sticks closer than a brother. And it's a marvelous promise. I think it's messianic. I think it's, it speaks to the intimacy of God himself and uh, the love that we have for the Lord, the love that he has for us, and uh, the one who's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. So that's that's the beauty of Proverbs eighteen twenty four where we have, not only do we have the friend and the brother contrasted, but we have something that's closer than a friend, closer than a brother, and that's the, the loved one, as, uh, as is spoken of there. And we should develop that. That comes through the intimacy of the Word of God. This was David and Jonathan. This is the, the, the love that they had for one another and that David said is more intimate than the love of a man and a woman. It's more intimate than marital love, than sexual love. And when you are when you are intimate with the Lord and and a disciple of the Word of God, uh, imagine the fellowship that David and, and Jonathan had uh, as before the Lord. We'll talk about that. 
And then three verses in Proverbs 19. In Proverbs 19, verse 4, verse 6, verse 7, where we see these tandems of vocabulary. Proverbs 19, 4 says, Wealth adds many friends, but a poor man is separated from his friend. And we'll have to discuss there's uh, the vocabulary in, in both halves of that verse. But wealth adds many friends. You know, when you win the lottery, <laughs> you're going to have friends you forgot you even knew about, right? And they are, they're going to come out of every, every nook and cranny and every, uh, all the woodwork. Uh, whereas a poor man finds out who his real friends actually are. And uh, because there's some who said that they were friends, and uh, yet in his adversity, uh, where do the friends go? And so there's a separation. Remember, separation is a friendship death that we studied a couple weeks back. Verse 6, many will seek the favor of a generous man, and every man is a friend to him who gives. Similar concept to verse 4, expanded in a different way there in verse 6. And again, there's the friend vocabulary, which I haven't given you yet, but it's the word is rate. And I think uh, I might have given, yes, We'll give that to you under subpoint A with a Strong's number 7453. All right. And so many will seek the favor of a generous man. If he's generous, then uh, that's his nature. And uh, not saying there's anything wrong with it, it just it's, it happens. And every man is a friend to him who gives. Verse 7, though, all the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more do his friends abandon him? And the link between friends and brothers is there. There's a degree that uh, the brother is supposed to be closer than a friend. All right, the, that they hate him. And how much more do his friends abandon him? They don't even have the blood relationship to link them together. So how much more do his friends abandon him? He pursues them with words, but they are gone. As quick as they can, they are out of there. All right. So these are the three uh, passages in the personal and public wisdom collection. Between chapter 10 and chapter 24, these are the three passages whereby friends and brothers are linked together, either in the same verse or in close proximity. In chapter 19, it's close proximity because you have friends in verse 4 and verse 6, and then you have brothers and friends in verse 7. In the next collection, we turn to Proverbs 27. And in some of the additional Proverbs that were collected during the lifetime of Hezekiah, we have this tandem, verse 9 and verse 10 of Proverbs 27. All right. I don't think I need to go before verse 9 to get this context. Verse 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. And that's one of the benefits you have in true friendship is that uh, he tells you what you need, not necessarily what you want, but he's got counsel, he's got the wisdom from God, and it, uh, it's like perfume, it's like oil, it's a benefit to you. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother far away. 
And this too is interesting, and, and not in the, in the uh, section from 10 through 24, but to be added later in the 25 through 29 portion of the book, uh, remarkable that you have a brother but he's far away, and so the neighbor who's near is better than the brother who's far away. And so we'll discuss that as well in the, uh, in the day of calamity. So, this is what we're looking at here. Not in the childhood portion, not in the parental wisdom collection of this book. In those chapters, the vocabulary for friend is found, but it's not linked to brothers, it's not translated friend, and it is actually rendered neighbor. And that's what we'll see here. So subpoint A, vocabulary. Subpoint A, friend is often translated neighbor in various proverbs. Friend is often translated neighbor in various proverbs. And it's curious because both of these words are uh, bilateral rather than trilateral Hebrew roots. Very unusual. Most Hebrew words have three consonants, but friend and brother each only have two. They stand out in, uh, in this way. And so the word for friend is ring. It's just an R-E and a close apostrophe that you kind of close your throat and cough and swallow at the same time. <laughs> I was, that's how I was taught to pronounce the, the Hebrew lion. You just got to close the back of your throat, make a, almost like a, a, a G sound, but it's, it's from the back of your throat instead of from your palate. And uh, it's a, it is a, a closure, so you do stop the breathing there with rit. So the word is rit. And um, that's how you do it. You get lazy, you could just say rake but, or reg, but that uh, confuses it with a real G. So I'll try to be clear when I say rake. And the rake, which is either a friend or a neighbor or sometimes a shepherd, there's another word for shepherd that is uh, connected to this, to this same root as well. Um, but a, a friend or a neighbor, number 7453 is the Strong's number. And it's the same number whether it's translated friend or neighbor. James Strong just gave the, the one number to the one, to the one noun. It's used 185 times in uh, the Old Testament, some 31 in Proverbs. I think that's correct. Yes, 31 times in Proverbs. 185 times in the, New, in the Old Testament. It's everywhere in the Old Testament. Um, but you'll notice all the times that it's translated neighbor includes chapter 3, chapter 6, also, chapter 11, 12, 14, 16, we've had it several times before we get to this morning in 1717. And every time we've had this noun in the book of Proverbs, it's been translated as neighbor instead of friend. Starting in chapter 17, though, we start to get the blend where sometimes it's friend and sometimes it's neighbor. And in chapter 17, 17, of course, we just read that this morning, chapter 18, 24, we saw that also, where it's used once for the two times that we have the word friend in that English verse. It's used uh, in, in uh, chapter 19, which we've seen already in verse 4 and in verse 6. It's used in chapter 27, which we also saw in verse 9 and 10. We did not look ahead to verse 14, we should have. And then uh, chapter 22 as well. And then a couple of uh, bizarre uses, I say bizarre, uh, but there's twice, and my suspicion is is they couldn't decide whether to go with friend or go with neighbor, so they just said another. They said another. And uh, 
even in uh, where iron sharpens iron, where iron sharpens another, it is either a friend or a neighbor that iron is sharpening. In uh, That must be chapter 27 and verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens his friend, his neighbor, another man. One man sharpens a rake. And so uh, we have just, uh, I think it's kind of a a panic. (laughs) I don't know how to translate it, let's just let it go. So uh, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens his friend. One man sharpens his neighbor. One man sharpens his rake. Proverbs 18, 17 is the other non-translation bailout. The first to plead his case seems right until a friend comes and examines him, until a neighbor comes and examines him, until another comes and examines him. The first to plead his case seems right. So, you know, if you're the first one to tell the story, if you're the first witness in court and you get your story out there, well, wow, okay, that sounds believable. Until, wait a minute. Now we have another testimony that's being brought. Now we have a, uh, a friend, a neighbor, another. Now a writ arrives, and this writ has an additional examination brought to bear, and now you're starting to wonder, hmm, that first, uh, that first testimony doesn't seem exactly right. Maybe there's more to it than this, which is why you never, you always have two or three witnesses. You always have to confirm things and... Uh, deal with it on that basis as a matter of law. All right. Now, as far as the rest of this goes, I don't know that we have to spend a ton of time on it. Um, But as a matter, as a ratio, though, it is curious to me that you have, uh, of the 31 uses that you have in Proverbs of rank, 21 of them are translated as neighbor. You have eight of them translated as friend. And then two that are just kind of bailed out as another that uh, that aren't rendered as either brother or I'm sorry neighbor or friend so you might remember these won't spend a ton of time on it but let's look at these neighbor references again it'll be a good reminder when we have to ask ourselves and and really this is the study you do when you uh when you want to be uh asking the lord you know who's my neighbor <laughs> well who's your rent uh, what does Proverbs say about a neighbor? And what does Proverbs say about a brother? And uh, this is what we're expected to understand. So if you might remember Proverbs 3 in the parental wisdom section. Uh, verse 27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. <laughs> you know? If uh, if he wants to borrow it, don't don't tell him uh, you know come back tomorrow. He he wants to borrow it. He's asking now. It's in your hand now. So do not say to your rent. Do not say to now. We could say friend. Do not say to your friend, go and come back. But it's translated here as neighbor, and uh, I don't have any issue with that as a translation. But but really, they're synonyms. Your neighbor is your friend. Your friend is your neighbor. 
but do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. You know, your next door neighbor, he lives, he, he wants to think that the guy in the house next door is not plotting his demise. <laughs> you want to think that you are supportive one of another. That's what neighbors do. You want to be looking after one another if the dog gets loose or if, if uh, something strange is happening. You want to ask your neighbor, you know, did you see anything? Do you know what's going on? And uh, you want to have the, the friendship there, the, the relationship with your neighbor such as uh, you don't want to you don't, you don't want the guy plotting your demise. All right, so we saw those principles in chapter 3. There's another principle we saw in chapter 6 that's going to come up in the next verse because it comes up in Proverbs 17, 18. But Proverbs 6, in verse 1 says, My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, if you have given a pledge for a stranger... If you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Escape from that trap. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, your right, either your friend or your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. You have to get released and you have to get released right now. And uh, it's, it's serious. Give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand, like a bird from the hand of the fowler, or like a seal from the mouth of a great white shark. Have you been watching Shark Week this week? All right. And so uh, every year, Shark Week, I tell you, I'm a big fan. And so yeah, you watch that and you're rooting for the, I'm rooting for the shark because he's chomping down on those, uh, on those seals. You know, and then uh, blood everywhere, and the and the announcers are going, "Oh, the poor seal!" You know, as if, come on, the seal, the seal is shark food. Why aren't you cheering for the shark? They even have even the soundtrack. They they play the sad, sad violin music at the the demise of the. They should be doing a happy you know trumpet blast or something exciting for the shark. It's a good day for him. Anyway. The illustration is, if, uh, if you have become surety for your neighbor, that there are right relationships between neighbors, and then there are harmful relationships between neighbors, and uh, your business dealings uh, should be connected to your brothers, to your clan, to your tribe, but your, your neighbor, you have to have the right boundaries in your friendship that uh, that don't bind you improperly to where now you're the you're the guarantee for his shady business loan wait a minute and now your house has a lien against it because uh, of his shady business practices what were you doing that for and uh and and really that interplay between neighbor and stranger is interesting too as it says there you've given a pledge for a stranger we talked about that when we taught chapter 6 and so we have the verses there. Verse 29 of the same chapter, Proverbs 6.29. So is the one who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Your neighbor's wife is not your wife. That's your neighbor's wife. And uh, the, the punishment for adultery is death. There's a reason for that. They had a much lower divorce rate in the ancient world as, uh, 
Adultery was dealt with on that basis. Proverbs 11. More neighbor verses that we could think of now as friendship verses. When we recognize that the vocabulary is the same. Proverbs 11.9 and 11.12 With his mouth the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. Verse 12, he who despises his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding keeps silent. And so this is our first of the neighbor verses that's in chapter 10 and following. This is now the first where you're reading these Proverbs on an adult basis with an adult capacity where the neighbor is now a neighbor and you're now peers, you're now adults, homeowners in the community uh, as opposed to just simply a child in uh, under your parents' roof. Changes the dynamic on who the neighbors are. Chapter 12 and verse 26 he who withholds grain, the people will curse him. That's not the verse I'm looking for. 12, chapter 12, and verse 26. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor. We might think of that now as his friend. The righteous is a guide to his friend. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. So who are you going to have for a friend? One that's going to lead you in the course of wisdom according to the word of God? Or the wicked, what he thinks? Well, You're going to ask the wicked for what he thinks. Of course you're going to be led astray. Why did you ask him anyway? Ask the righteous. And you get the appropriate guidance. Chapter 14. As we taught it in verse 20 and 21, we taught these as neighbor verses. Now we can look at it and think of them as friend verses. The poor is hated even by his neighbor, even by his friend but those who love the rich are many. Verse 21, he who despises his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. And so who's your neighbor? You got rich neighbors, you got poor neighbors. Who are the ones you're going to be nice to? Who are the ones you are not nice to? And these are not just neighbors, these are friends. Or they're supposed to be. All right, so those principles are there. Those are the ones we've already covered. Those are the, the, the verses we've already seen that we taught them in the past. Uh, chapter 16 also. Chapter 16 and verse 29. A man of violence entices his, entices his neighbor, entices his friend, and leads him in a way that is not good. So when we taught it, we looked at it in a neighbor application, but it's the same word. We could think of it as a friend. And at what point, you know, the man of violence, at what point, you know, do you decide that, uh, you know, yeah, he's been your friend, but, you know, it's like an addict. At what point he tries to keep his friend from harm, but at a certain point, The addiction gets so much and now he'll steal even from his friend. He'll steal from his spouse. He'll steal from his family members. And, um, you know, you realize that that's that's what wickedness does when it destroys the friendship. All right, so now those are all the uses that we've already seen prior to 1717. 
It's curious to me that in chapter 17, the verse we're looking at today has the word right and it's translated friend. A friend loves at all times. A friend, ahav, is the verb for love. And so when we start to relate friends and lovers, we, we, we realize that we have overlap between these because the activity of friend is to love. And uh, a friend who does love could then be called your loved one. It could be called your, and, and the lover doesn't have the sexual aspect that we attach to it, but there it is. And yet we have rape that's used in the very next verse, verse 18, where it's not translated friend, it's translated neighbor. So why do they do this? I want to know. Proverbs 17, you look at verse 18 and you put your finger on the word friend and you look at verse 18 and you put your finger on the word neighbor and now you got two fingers on two verses, one by one, one right next to each other and it's the same word in both places. It's the same rate in both places. But a man lacking in sense pledges and becomes a guarantor in the presence of his neighbor and uh, or friend. And I think that probably because of chapter 6, they went ahead and translated it neighbor there to keep it consistent with there. But anyway, why are you a pledge? Why are you becoming a pledge for a friend or a neighbor? What was the, the purpose of families and clans and tribes in the ancient world? All right, well... We can deal with that too. Then for the rest of these, like I say, um, as we move forward, now we're going to start to see a blend where sometimes it's going to be called friend and sometimes it's going to be called neighbor. And as we look forward to the ones we haven't gotten to yet, chapter 21, 24, 25, 26, 29, uh, 22, 27, 18, when we start to look at all these other chapters, there's a lot of more rate uses coming up and they're going to go back and forth between friend and neighbor, friend and neighbor. And, and I wonder, did they just throw darts at a dartboard when they were deciding how are they going to translate it? What Did they flip a coin and say, well, we did friend last time, let's do neighbor this time. Um, I'd like to think there was more scholarship in, in, uh, you know, behind it than that. But sometimes I'm, I'm left just wondering, how, uh, how does that go? All right. Well, that's the friend vocabulary, the neighbor vocabulary. The brother vocabulary is a bit easier. The brother vocabulary, um, I say a bit easier. There's, there's room for uh, nuance here as well. But just like friend, it's not a trilateral, it's a bilateral. There's only two consonants. The, the word is ach. And if you ever learn German, then you're ahead of the rest of us because you know how to get guttural on your ach sounds. So the ach is, uh, is your brother. Okay, and uh, Strong's number is 251, uh, 629 uses, so there's tons of brothers all throughout the Old Testament, 629 uses. The issue is, though, is that sometimes the Hebrew will use brother for someone that's not a literal brother, like, like we use, right? Any blood relation, any kinsman. And so it could be a brother, it could be a nephew, it could be a, a cousin, it could be an uncle. Um, that there are precise words for those relations. But then there's just the general word, sometimes brother is just the general term that's used for any blood relation. 
And so usually we just call it brother as an English translation unless there's reason to believe otherwise. A lot of times in the plural, brethren is just understood to be kinsmen, is understood to be blood relatives within your, within your family or within your clan. Curious though that it's not used so frequently in Proverbs. Only nine uses in 31 chapters. That's, that's hardly anything. Only nine uses out of 629 so it does not come a lot, uh, come up a lot in uh, Proverbs. But when it does come up, we're going to find that, typically speaking, it's used with, with a corollary. It's used with a connection to friend. It's used in a connection with rape. And it's used to contrast, either in a, in a, in a more sense or a less sense or a, some kind of a, a, a proportion that's being drawn between friends and brothers. So there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother that a brother should be, should be closer than a friend, but then you have a lover that's closer than a brother, and that's the best of all. We'll talk about that in chapter 18. Um, anyway, so we can look at these. This won't take us very long. The brother applications in Proverbs 9. And it's, it is curious. There's not more that's said about brothers in... Uh, in the book of Proverbs. But one of the things God hates, in fact, it's the final one, it's the, it's the seventh, when there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to Him, that, that final one, anytime you have X and X plus one, that final one is the biggie. That's the one that, that really drives the point home. And so number seven of all the things the Lord hates is one who spreads strife among the achim, among brothers. So trouble in the family, strife between achim is the pinnacle of God's hatred. Of the six and the seven, the six are bad enough, number seven is the worst of the worst of everything God hates is someone who spreads strife among brethren. And we're going to have more strife verses here coming up in, in uh, Proverbs 17. And that's the only use of brothers anywhere in, in chapters 1 through 9. It's the only use of ach or achim in, uh, in Proverbs 1 through 9. And not a lot that's said about brothers in the parental wisdom because it's also focused on parents admonishing the, the single son that they're admonishing there as Solomon records it. Chapter 17 then, verse 2, before we get to this morning's verse, before we get to uh, the verse this morning where we have the contrast of friends and brothers, we did have a reference in, in 17.2, a servant who acts wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share in the inheritance among the brothers, among the achim. And so there can be, or is it achoth? That's right. I am lying to you this morning. This is terrible. I just assumed that because ach is masculine, that it would have an em ending. Ach is masculine, but it takes the feminine ending in its plural. It's achoth is the plural of ach. Anyway, that's embarrassing. All right. So among the achoth, among the brothers... A servant who acts wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance among brothers. 
And uh, when the father chooses to do that, he can certainly do that. He can take sons of a concubine and, uh, and, and, and uh, promote them to full heirs, to, to, full, to have an equal inheritance among the, uh, among the sons of the, of the wives, see. And uh, that's, that's the father's prerogative to do so. And to take a slave and to adopt that slave and to give that slave a full inheritance equal to his legitimate sons, the father has the prerogative to do that. That is fully within the father's realm. All of this is biblical. All of this is patterned after God the Father who chooses the Son in whom He's well pleased and who chooses to honor the Son in whom He's well pleased. And uh, this is uh, very much the, uh, the blessings of patriarchy that is uh, so hated <laughs> in our culture today. Absolutely hated. Anything with respect to the, uh, to the arche, the rule of the pater, is, is reviled and, and rebelled against and, and uh, attacked for being the problem in our culture. No, we need more patriarchy. We need more fathers. We need less absentee deadbeats. We need real fathers raising their sons and, uh, and so forth. All right. So that's the use of ach that's found in 17.2. As far as these other ones go, we've already seen in uh, 18, we've seen in 19, we've seen in 27. These are all the connections where friend and brother are linked, I think. Have we not seen those? I knew there was a reason I wanted to put those side by side. We haven't seen 19 yet. And the early verses in 18 we haven't seen yet. Proverbs 18, 9. Um... Yeah, there's a kind of a, a segment in chapter 18 that's talking about the fool, his lips, his mouth in verse 6, his mouth and his lips in verse 7. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Verse 9 says, He also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. So there's a, uh, there's a metaphoric use. Uh, with the slacker and the destroyer, and they're brothers one to another. They work together in this. The slacker and the destroyer. That's kind of a neat tandem. Verse 19, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a citadel. If you have strife between brothers, two brothers that are fighting, two brothers that won't talk to each other, two brothers that hate each other, a brother that uh, flees to Padanaram because his brother wants to kill him. Um, that's a tough situation. And, and how do you reconcile that? Um, harder to be one than a strong city. And you're better off just going to war and trying to conquer uh, some kind of citadel. That's an easier task. And of course, verse uh, 24 we talked about already with a friend that sticketh closer, with a lover who sticks closer than a brother. 19.7, all the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more do the friends abandon him? We saw that already. And there's a proportion there. How much more? How much more? And so the expectation is that blood is thicker than water. That's biblical. The expectation is that a brother will stick longer than a friend will stick. How much more? The friends will abandon faster than the brothers.
Remember, if you die without a child, it's not your friend that raises up a child, it's your brother who has to take your widow uh, in a leveret marriage and, and raise up a seed to, the, to your name. It's not your friend who does that, it's your brother who does that. The brother is closer than a friend. All right, 27.10. And this one, yeah, we saw this already, and, and I'm really, because you have your friend and you have your father's friend. And there's, there's scripture to that. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. And there's a, there's a pattern for that. When Solomon came to build the temple, it was his father's friend that uh, the king of Tyre, remember Hiram, the king of Tyre? And it was his father's friend, David's friend, that was the best blessing Solomon ever had in the early days of his reign. Your father's friend. And um, there's, uh, there's, there's an application to be found in that. All right, so we have the language from friend, we have the language for brother. Subpoint C, the imperative to love one's neighbor uses the same vocabulary as this proverb, a friend loves at all times. All right, this is what you don't want to miss. This is what drives it home for us. When you're looking at Proverbs 17, don't forget Leviticus. Because you've got Proverbs 17, 17, you've got Leviticus 19, 18, and it's the same exact vocabulary in both places. And the imperative to love one's neighbor uses the same vocabulary as this proverb. So when we read, a friend loves at all times, we say, well, of course, because God commands me to love my neighbor. God commands me to love my rent. And so, of course, a rent loves at all times. Leviticus 19, this is, of course, the two great commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first commandment, but then the second, to love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19.18. Verse 17 says, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So when we fail in the love your neighbor imperatives, when we want to uh, try to find fine print and exclude people and say, well, that's not my neighbor. Uh, when we try to weasel out of those expectations, uh, we realize how comprehensive it is as given in this chapter. Your uh, fellow countrymen, your... Um, the sons of your people. So we find that there's, there's uh, we're talking about our identification as us. Who are we? Who, uh, who is our people? What is our culture? What, is our, what are our boundaries? What is our land? What is our duty to our neighbor? All of this, of course, is grounded in the Scriptures. All right, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. When we fail to, to obey this uh, love your neighbor imperative, we're attacking the I am. I am the Lord. That's, uh, that's a serious admonishment there. Now, 
We also have some comments. We talk about loving your neighbor versus hating your neighbor. We gave you some teaching in Proverbs 14, and I just ripped this off of the slide that we saw back in the day uh, because I thought it was, a, it was a very key point that we made. Remember Proverbs 14, 20? Where did we go? The poor is hated even by his neighbor, but he who loves the rich are many. There's a there's the poetry of that verse had hate versus love, had poor versus rich, but the issue with your neighbor is your neighbor could be poor or rich. He's still your neighbor. And so there's no hatred that should be brought to bear. Hate and love were contrasted, but the command is to love your neighbor. And, and when, when God said love your neighbor, he didn't say love the rich one. And it's okay to hate the poor one. No. Love your neighbor, rich or poor. So hate and love were contrasted, but the command is to love your neighbor. Especially if he's poor and could do nothing for you. That's the best love of all. The best love of all is the sacrificial love that's not taking into account the merit of its object, but is expressing love because of the integrity of the soul that's doing the loving. When God so loved the world, it's coming from His heart of love. It's not because the world is loving. The world is not lovable when God so loved the world. And we are to love in such a way. If He's poor and could do nothing for you, even better. Even better. That guarantees that your motives are, are proper and that you don't have some uh, you know, little carnal part of your mind that's thinking, yeah, if I scratch his back, he'll, he'll scratch mine. Or that I'll get something out of this. Or that uh, he's going to owe me now. Obviously, Leviticus 19.18, our Lord quotes it in Luke 10.27. It's uh, given in a New Testament application in Romans 13.9 and Galatians 5.14, clearly. If, if, uh, if Israel under law could, could obey this imperative, what do you think church-age believers can do who are filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit starts with item number one is love. <laughs> so clearly um, it's expected of us. All right, I'm almost out of time. Let's wrap it up with these. Jesus here in Luke 10. And here's this lawyer who thinks he's earned it. And uh, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So he was right. He was right on target. His application was, was solid. Love the Lord, love your neighbor. And so Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, <laughs> is Jesus lying to the man? He's not sinning. We know Jesus never sinned. He is making a statement that, strictly speaking, is not a factually accurate statement. But he is communicating. He is communicating. And I think the man knows it. I think the man knows it when he says, yes, fulfill the law and you will earn glory. Right? Because the truth is, no one can. 
even this guy, nobody can. Jesus is the only one that, that keeps the law, fulfills the law. All right. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Yep. Romans 13, 9. So if, uh, if an Old Testament saint could, under law, love his neighbor, what are we expected to do? Love our neighbor, yeah. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it comes right down to it. If you're stealing, you're not loving your neighbor. If you're cheating with his wife, you're not loving your neighbor. Whatever harm you're devising against him, you're not loving your neighbor. If, you know, we could have a much smaller Texas penal code, uh, code of criminal justice, if, uh, if everyone loved their neighbor, would take care of everything else. Murder and stealing and assault and, and everything else. All right. Galatians 5. Why did I say 14? Oh yeah. The whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You were called for freedom, brethren. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. If an Old Testament saint could do this, we can do it uh, quite a bit more. All right. If he's poor and can do nothing for you. Luke 6, Luke 10, Luke 14. I'm rushing to finish this up in time. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? So do good because you want to, because of your goodness, because of your love. That's chapter 6. Chapter 10. This is again, the who is my neighbor. Chapter 14. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return. That will be your repayment. And I like the use there of friends, brothers, relatives, neighbors. I think that encompasses a lot of the vocabulary we're looking at. It's not in Hebrew here. This is Greek. But it encompasses a lot of the expressions that we're going to be seeing in Proverbs. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Loving your neighbor, especially if he's poor and can do nothing for you. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for truth. I pray that we would read the Proverbs and understand them. I pray that we would make our appropriate application to our friends, to our neighbors, to our brothers, particularly in the body of Christ, in the imperative that we have, related to the one another uh, mutual reciprocal duties and blessings of of the local church and the church age. I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.